Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Attractions Group Podcast. It's episode number 37. Don Helbig joined by the peripatetic Ryan Sir. Ryan, you're getting ready to go on another trip to Tennessee this week. What are you looking to do while you're there? Well, um, I'm willing to stop by Bucky's if you want me to. I know that they probably have a drop shipment for you of uh, Bucky's Hawaiian shirts and mugs and, uh, you know, onesies and so on. Um, kind of exciting one. Uh, swinging by Dollywood. Uh, actually spending a couple days there. Uh, but the real highlight is that we are only for one night, but we are spending one night at the Dreammore Resort, which has been a bucket list thing for me. So really excited to do that. Uh, I really want to see it. Um, it's kind of legendary already. And uh, I don't know many people that have actually stayed there. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it books up very quickly and we're just lucky to have it. We just needed to, a place to stay on Thursday. So we decided to splurge. Um, so Dollywood the other days, uh, Big Bear Mountain will not be open. So darn, another excuse to go down to Dollywood later this year. Um, but uh, we're actually seeing the Hatfields and McCoys dinner show on Thursday night. So I'm really looking forward to that because that's been something I've wanted to do. You know, you mentioned the Hatfields and McCoys. Uh, interesting note, uh, by marriage, I am related to the McCoy side of that family. Yes, in Kentucky, the Kentucky. Kentucky I made sure to buy tickets on the McCoy side because I did not want to sit on the Hatfield side because I'm still mad about this. (laughs) Yeah, that's a little fun fact. Awesome. Well, um, so for those of you who uh, are new, welcome. Uh, You can follow us on Twitter at attractions underscore GRP. We are so close to having 500 followers. Once we hit 500 followers, Don's going to give away another prize, but it's not going to be a surprise this time. He told me, he authorized me to tell you what it is, and it's going to be a boysenberry pin from Knott's Berry Farm. So move it over. There we go. I didn't even know you had it in hand right now, but that's cool. Yeah, those pins are awesome. I got tons of them from Kings Island and uh, Kings Dominion. But so uh, we're just a couple away. So we're going to pick one random Twitter follower to uh, to get the boysenberry pin. Um, so you can find us on your favorite uh, audio apps for podcasts. That's Spotify, Apple, Google, and so on. Uh, and if you want to see our handsome faces as well as the very handsome face of our guest today, then look for us on YouTube. Uh, just search for the Attractions Group Podcast. So speaking of Twitter, Don, you've grown your followers by like, what, 1,400, 2,400 in the last couple of weeks. What do you attribute yeah, 20, that to? Uh, I think just doing the Attractions Group Podcast, just uh, you know, people listening to it and they just decide they, they want to follow along. That was my, uh, that was my guess too. <laughs> All right, Don, who's our guest today? Well, Arthur Levine, he's an expert in all things related to theme parks and shares his insights and experience on his sub stack. It's called About Theme Parks. And Ryan, you know, you and I love reading his post and, and learning about the latest news in the industry. And if you're listening to this uh, podcast, you will too. So make sure you check it out. Uh, Arthur, you're our first repeated guest. Welcome back to the Attractions Group Podcast. Well, thanks for having me, guys. It's a pleasure to be here, and uh, I'm honored to be the uh, the first uh, first guy that got the call back, I guess. Yeah, we hope to have you on many times more as we, we keep moving into the future here. Sounds good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've had people that we interviewed at IAPA on, so we have had people on more than once, but you're our first to be on two full episodes, so uh, that makes you an A-lister in my book. So, <laughs> so Arthur... 
you know, since getting to know you the last time you're on the podcast in December, uh, I've been reading your Substack and following your tweets and stuff, and I've really enjoyed them. Um, we're going to talk about some, some of the material that you've come out with. Are you ready to dive into that? Sure, sure. Let's do it. And, and uh, for folks who are interested, if uh, they want to reference these, these articles, they can find me on aboutthemeparks.fun. That's uh, .fun. I, I didn't realize that that was a URL, but it, it actually is. And that will be linked in the description as well. Great. All right, Arthur, we'll get started with uh, a recent article that you did. It's, it's called Take a Ride Back in Time. And it's uh, counting down the 10 oldest amusement parks still operating in the United States, and all of them date to the 19th century. Uh, share with our listeners your list of the 10 oldest parks in the country. Sure, but maybe before we do that, I, I just wanted to say that um, these parks kind of have a special place in my heart. I, I really um, get a huge kick out of these uh, these uh, classic parks. And um, one of the reasons why I think is, you know, we live in a world that's constantly changing and it seems to be evolving ever quicker these days. And there's something comforting about um, places like the parks that we're going to be talking about that have been around for well over 100 years, uh, some of them 150 years. And um, the fact that they're still here and still providing fun and they provide this, this wonderful link to the past and multiple generations have gone there, they, I find that very comforting and, and, uh, and, and, and something that uh, just gives me a great deal of pleasure. And, and I also wanted to say that they're a wonderful example of what I see as a very odd juxtaposition um, about what it is about amusement parks and theme parks that we love. On the one hand, I think people love them because of their nostalgic appeal, because maybe they went there when they were a child, or maybe their parents and their grandparents went there and it's been this, you know, multi-generation experience. And they love going back and and maybe introducing their own children to it. So there's this, this tremendous nostalgic appeal. At the same time, parks have always been, and even these parks that we're gonna be talking about, they've always been places that have showcased the latest technology. It's the place where we go to experience things at scale uh, that maybe we've only read about in magazines back in the day, or maybe we only you know, hear about uh, in social media, things like uh, monorails and people movers and um, virtual reality and 3D. I, I know that 3D is quite a common thing these days, kind of passe even, but when it first came out, the place where you saw the, this kind of, uh, the, the, these kind of films was at theme parks and amusement parks. So it, it's this really weird uh, juxtaposition and, and I kind of call it the Disneyland dilemma because people love Disneyland uh, for um, its its uh, its nostalgia and its and its its classic appeal, and there are so many opening day rides and attractions that still exist to this day. And God forbid, if Disney wants to touch any one of those, you know the uproar would be crazy. At the same time, um, in order to remain relevant, um, Disney has to keep innovating and introducing new uh, attractions and new lands and new things. Kind of difficult in a, in a landlocked place like Disneyland where you can't touch anything that 
dates back to the 1950s, but you want to introduce something new. They found some clever ways to get around that. But I just wanted to say that as, as we as we jump into these that um, uh, th there's, there's a reason why I think these parks have been around for so long, because they hold a special place, not only in my heart, but I think in a lot of people's hearts. So with that, let's let's take a look at the oldest continuously operating parks in the United States. And the first one is Lake Compounds, which is in Bristol, Connecticut, in the central part of the state. Um, it dates back to 1846. And um, when I say it dates back to 1846, I mean, if we could travel back in time and go to Lake Compounds back then, you, you wouldn't recognize it as an amusement park as we do today. It was really... Um, just a, a what was known back then as a picnic park. Uh, it was a place where families would go and, uh, you know, the lake was there so people could go swimming and uh, it's surrounded by mountains. It's a beautiful natural setting and provides a lot of, I think, shade perhaps in the in the summertime from that mountain. And, um, but it, it did begin in 1846. It eventually evolved into an amusement park. Uh, at some point along the way, trolleys also uh, brought people uh, to the park, although it's not considered a trolley park because it was not originally built by a trolley company. So that kind of disqualifies it as a, a as a trolley park. But um, Lake Compounds is um, is a wonderful park. One of the things that that um, I, I note about it is that even though it is the oldest continuously operating park, has a tremendous history, it doesn't really dwell on its past much. If you go there. Um, if, if, if you want to seek it out and, and try hard, you can, you know, find um, clues to its past, but it, it operates today as a contemporary amusement park and, you know, families going today who may not know about its past uh, would nonetheless have a wonderful time because of the contemporary thrills that it offers in rides such as Boulder Dash, a wonderful, wonderful wooden coaster. And, um, and, and other, uh, they, have, they have a beautiful water park. Uh, one of the great things about the water park is, uh, unlike perhaps any other park that I've ever seen, and, and, and you guys maybe can chime in, I, I don't know any other water park where the slides, some of the slides anyways, empty directly into the lake rather than emptying into a, uh, you know, a splash pool or, or something like that. So uh, Lake Compounds is, uh, is a wonderful park. I live in New England, uh, so I get to go there every now and again, which is great. And, um, and that's Lake Compounds. Awesome. Should I, do I just keep going down the line here? You guys going to ask me questions? Well, no, no, no. <laughs> I, I think we'll, 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 we'll interject with some stuff. So Lake Compounds, you said that's sure. the oldest park uh yes. in the united states so boulder dash obviously is a is a you know phenomenal ride and it's it's extraordinarily old what do you think attributes to that continuing to have the impact that it does on the industry and on enthusiasts and uh, you know like what what do you think gives it the staying power that it has you're talking about boulder dash boulder itself? dash yeah yeah, it is just a fabulous uh, wooden coaster. What's unique about it is that it's built into the side of the mountain. I believe it's called Southington Mountain uh, that borders one side of the park. The track never rises very high um, off of the ground. Um, it just uses the natural terrain of the mountain. But what a heck of a natural terrain. I mean, it's, it's a mountain for crying out loud. And um, so it, it, you know, it, it, it climbs way up into the mountain, uh, turns around, drops down. It's basically an out and back coaster. 
Um, and when it makes the, the, the return trip, you're kind of going along the lake. Uh, it's got beautiful views. It's, it's one of these coasters. Um, I don't know if either of you guys have been on it, but it's one of these rides that seems to magically and mysteriously just maintain its energy right up until you reach the, uh, the unload station. It just, it just tears. Uh, and, and it just provides a, a, a wonderful ride. So it, it's one of those, I, I think I was there for the opening day uh, for this coaster and um, it's, it's maintained um, its integrity. Although I think I, I learned recently that we may be seeing some Titan track on that, which is kind of interesting. Um, but uh, that's my take on, on Boulder Dash, one of the greatest wooden coasters I've ever been on. Yeah, I've been on it and I agree 100% with you. It's one of the best ones that I've been on. And, uh, you know, I also, I'm a big fan of carousels too. And I think that when you're talking about these older parks, you know, and these carousels are, you know, decades old, you know, to me, that just adds a lot to the charm. Yeah. And the carousel at uh, Lake Compounds goes back to 1898. So that's a heck of an old, <laughs> heck of an old car carousel and a beautiful one at that. Awesome. All right, Arthur, the, what's the ninth oldest theme park in the United States, amusement park. We're going to go to a park that both of you guys, I'm sure, are extremely familiar with, and that's Cedar Point in Sandusky, Ohio. And, and some people may be surprised to, to learn that. Uh, again, uh, a lot of people probably go to Cedar Point and aren't really aware of its history, but it goes back to 1870. And, and I think similar to Lake Compounds, the appeal was to, you know, get away from the city and go up to Lake Erie and, and get some uh, lake breezes and, um, and, and uh, jump in the water and cool off. And, um, you know, back in 1870, again, like Lake Compounds, there weren't roller coasters and other mechanical rides there but over time of course it's grown to be um one of the countries really one of the, the world's great amusement parks uh 17 roller coasters um and um i don't have to tell you or the people listening <laughs> right. to this <laughs> podcast about cedar point but it's it's uh, of course a wonderful wonderful place and my goodness do i love steel vengeance you know the thing about cedar point for me too having you know, kind of grown up with it being, you know, in Ohio here where I would, uh, you know, at least go up once a year starting in the 1980s is how they put in all this modern hardware, but yet they've been able to maintain that old school charm. Yeah. And I think that's a recurring theme throughout the list here um, that, uh, yeah, you're, you're, you're going to be able to um, you know, it, it may not be obvious at first glance, but if, if you do just a little digging, you'll be able to recognize some of the the remnants from its from its earlier days. Um, but still enjoy it for its contemporary thrills and appeal uh, today, without you know necessarily having to acknowledge its its glorious past. Yeah, it was. They celebrated their 150th anniversary a couple of years ago, which they had a fantastic celebration and um, a great tribute to the past. Um, but one thing that's kind of popped in my mind, and I actually meant to ask you this last time you were on the show, but it didn't really fit into the context and I forgot. Um, but so I was, uh, I was there with my girlfriend. She doesn't know or care about the history of any theme park, but she was like, oh, it's 150 years old. And it's like, well, it is, but the Cedar point that, you know, is only a couple decades old. I mean, and so I was trying to debate with the the modern Cedar Point that we know now. Do you think that it started with either Blue Streak or uh, 
or Magnum or like if you were going to say that the modern era, the Cedar Point that we know now started with a particular event, a ride installation, something like that, what do you think it would be? Well, I, I I don't know the name of the very first coaster at at Cedar Point. I know that it's no longer operating, but you know maybe that might be where you could trace in my mind where you could trace the history. Um, once people got a taste of roller coasters, there was I, I think no going back, and um, um, and 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 that's obvious at Cedar Point because they've <laughs> they've evolved into this park that's known for its its seventeen roller coasters. So I guess for me, I would say you know whenever it was and whatever that very first roller coaster was um, would to me uh, kind of mark the 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 point at which it became an amusement park and and kind of set the. Um, uh, set, set set the path for what it has become today. Yeah, I'm. I believe it was Switchback Railway, and I'm going to look on rcdb.com, which is right. the Google of roller coasters. Let's look up Cedar Point because I'm curious as to what the year that was. You do make a good point, but Switchback Railway was one of those. I believe it was like horses pulled the train up the hill, so it was incredibly far from a modern take on a roller coaster. Let's see here. Switchback Railway was 1892 is when it was built and closed in 1901. So, so you would say that the modern history of Cedar Point dates back all the way to 1892? I would. I would. I mean, sure, you can make an argument about Blue Streak or Magnum. Those are both, um, you know, very consequential coasters certainly um but I, I think once there was the introduction of of mechanical rides and especially roller coasters it it changed the the whole character of of the park and the whole reason for going um people still went i'm sure back in 1892 to enjoy the breezes and to have picnics and to maybe play sports and to jump in the water and cool down but boy they were going to ride that switchback railway because that was quite a novelty and and they wanted to come back year after year to get back on that. I'm Absolutely. Sure. The other thought that I had was perhaps you could, um, and, and I'm, I definitely want your take on this, but you could also say that the modern history of Cedar Point actually started with Gemini because I think that was their first like world's tallest, longest, whatever. And they mm -hmm. haven't really stopped since then, you know, but I guess it's all subjective, yeah. isn't yeah, it? Sure. It is. It is. There's no right or wrong answer here, but uh, that's, that's my. What's your take, Don? When would you say the modern history of Cedar Point? began well i mean i i you know agree with arthur that you got to go back you know to the first roller coaster you know that type of ride that they had back then but i would think gemini pretty much was when you know they started to get more into the the higher end thrill type rides there there was a lot of you know family attractions uh but i think that kind of started them on that path because then after that you know you have the uh, the corkscrew came in you have um you know, then you got into uh, with um, Magnum, you know, that started the, you know, the big thing of bringing in the the record breakers and all those kind of things. But, you know, I think you really got to trace it almost back to its roots, you know, back in the, the late 1800s. And I think everything kind of evolves from there. So if you kind of take what Cedar Point is today, you know, back in that era, the late 1800s, that would have been, you know, the place to go for thrills. Absolutely. All right. Uh, what were we on? Number eight. What's the eighth oldest theme park in the United States? Still, still operating. It's uh, one of 
one of my hometown parks. It's uh, Six Flags, New England, which is in, in the western part of the state, in Agawam, Massachusetts, near Springfield, kind of near Connecticut as well. Um, and there were, as I, as I say in my article, there were no Six Flags parks in the 1800s, of course. There were no amusement parks, really, for, for that matter. Not Again, not in the way that we think of them today. Um, and again, it began as in this case it was it was a grove, um, and it was along the uh, the river um, that runs through um, runs alongside uh, Six Flags um, New England. Uh, and again, it was it was a place I think to you know escape the heat of Springfield and and uh, and, and and nearby cities and. Um, maybe uh, get get into the shade of the the forest there and perhaps jump into the river and, and do some swimming i'm not sure what what it was like back then um but it eventually evolved into riverside amusement park um in 1912 and um it, its first roller coaster was the giant dip um six flags came along many many years later um that was in in 2000 uh and today they've transformed the park to the point where it's virtually unrecognizable from its pre-Six Flags days. Um, the Thunderbolt coaster, which dates back to the 1940s, remains, um, and uh, it does have a, a wonderful old uh, carousel from 1909 as well, but virtually everything else in the park is um, is thrill rides and uh, you know huge water park slides and all the kinds of things you'd expect to find at a Six Flags park. So uh, there there isn't too much to remind folks of the past there, um, but it is one heck of a wonderful park. Uh, we were talking about it a bit before we started the podcast today. Two of my favorite coasters in in the whole world. Uh, Superman, which I think is is to this day remains one of the best steel coasters, and uh, Wicked Cyclone, which is the old uh, the old Riverside Cyclone, is uh, a, a wonderful RMC hybrid. Uh, so uh, that is Six Flags New England. Yeah, I, I loved the Riverside Cyclone before they you know did all the work on it and then transformed it into what it is today. But uh, you know, I had a good time there. You know, when I went in, uh, you know, the nineteen eighties and another one of those parks again that just when you were walking around at that time you know there were still some remnants of of it being really old and i just really enjoyed it you know there weren't the the at that time you know superman that wasn't there but it wasn't the you know the biggest park i'd been to but it kind of was a little bit of a throwback to me of, of cincinnati's coney island without the water all around it yeah yeah it, it, it was a little sad for me um living here as I do in Massachusetts in its later days in the in the 1990s it really kind of went downhill it was obviously having great difficulty um, maintaining uh, uh, its its uh, it, it just had fallen into great disrepair peeling paint and clothes rides and it was really hard to kind of go there so I was grateful when Six Flags came along and and uh, invested a lot of capital in it and, and really turned it around in a way I'm sad that it's no longer Riverside and it's lost kind of its connection to the past but uh, I'm grateful that Six Flags came in and did what it did so yeah definitely breathed new life into the park right right absolutely cool all right what's next so next, um, we have a, a small park in Pennsylvania. Um, I haven't been to all of the parks on the list here. Um, and this is one of the ones that I've not been to, although I do hope to get there someday. This is Idlewild, uh, which is run by the Kennywood folks, um, which also obviously is in Pennsylvania. This one dates back to 1878. And I think perhaps maybe 
I'm not quite sure about this, but per perhaps maybe more than any of the other parks on the list, this is a park that kind of embraces its past and, and uh, uh, it, it's loaded with classic rides that date back decades. Um, including the Rollo Coaster, that's R-O-L-L-O, -L -L -O, which is this kitty coaster uh, that opened in 1938 and is still delighting passengers today. Um, and uh, its merry-go-round goes dates back to 1931, um, and it has a 1939 uh, whip that is still uh, that is still delighting folks. I think Pennsylvania may have more whips than any other state yeah <laughs> there, there are quite a few of them that you can't find too many whips these days but there's at least three that i know of in pennsylvania perhaps more um so uh one of the cool things about idlewild for many years it had a mr rogers neighborhood uh and it now has a daniel tigers neighborhood which is kind of a spin-off from mr rogers uh and uh so so kids little it, i should say too it's designed for little kids it's it's a it's a park that is uh is built for families with young children uh so all of these rides the roller coaster and all of the other ones um are are, are designed for little kids to enjoy yeah i had planned to go there about 15 years ago but it was not open that week that I was in that area of Pennsylvania. So it was kind of a disappointment there, but, um, you know, definitely road trip. We'll have to do a road trip. Yeah. De definitely have my bucket list to go there. I've never been there. I've always heard good things. I love old parks. So <laughs> that's all I have to add because I've never been there. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Me too. And, and another old park that I haven't been to, although I've, I've had some lovely conversations with the family that uh, owns and operates it is Seabreeze in Rochester, New York, which is the next park on our list. Mm -hmm. uh, and that one dates back to 1879. Um, and it is a trolley park. Uh, and, and, and for folks who don't know, a trolley park is a park that was originally built by the trolley company, the, the uh, trolley company that um, during the week would provide transportation for folks to go to work. Uh, but on the weekend, they found that uh, there were no uh, very few passengers riding their trolley lines. And they discovered that if they built an amusement park at the end of the trolley line, um, then folks would ride their trolleys and go to the amusement park. And um, they were therefore kind of double dipping and making money both from the trolleys and from the, the amusement park that they built. Uh, so Seabreeze, I, I don't know exactly where it's located, but I'm guessing it's on the outskirts of Rochester at the very end of what used to be the trolley line. Um, and this is a, a very small park. And as I said, it's still owned and operated, uh, family owned and operated, which there are very few parks that can make that claim these days. Um, and among its uh, coasters is the Jackrabbit, which dates back to 1920, which makes it one of the oldest uh, continuously operating uh, roller coasters in the country. Um, it also has a uh, a junior coaster called the Bobsleds uh, that, that opened in 1952. Um, and interestingly, it opened with a wooden track, was converted to a steel track coaster in 1968. So there's a little bit of a little bit of trivia for you folks about Seabreeze in Rochester, New York. I've been there once. It was 42 years ago. And what I remember most oh what I remember most about it was the cotton candy and also uh, the saltwater taffy. Those are the, that's the two things that came to mind, you know, as soon as you mentioned that park was it brought back, you know, memories of that, um, you know, the Jackrabbit, remember that as well, but uh, the rest of it, you know, it's a little bit fuzzy for me, but, um, 
yeah, I mean, you're right. Very small little park, um, but definitely something to put on your bucket list and check out if you're in the Rochester, New York area. Well, Don, considering um, the vintage of some of these rides, like the Jackrabbit going back to 1920, I, I would imagine not a heck of a lot has changed since the 40 years ago when you <laughs> probably not, probably not. But uh, you know, but it was just you know, I, it was one of those things. You know, it wasn't a lot of time spent in the park because there wasn't a lot to do. But I just mm -hmm. remembered the cotton candy, the the um, you know, a ride on the Jackrabbit. And also the saltwater taffy, you know, it's just what I remembered about it. And then when I had um, some friends that I had met from that area, when they were coming down to visit me at Kings Island, I asked them to bring me some of that saltwater taffy. And so I would get that every now and then every couple of years when they'd come to visit. Well, you know, and, and, and this is part of the appeal of these parks that, um, that you can return 40 years later and find it largely unchanged and yeah. there's and there's something you know that i find just really wonderful about that 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 uh you know um we, we may have uh uh ai and virtual reality and and uh divisiveness in the political divisiveness in the country and all these things that might drive us crazy but there's a refuge in places like Seabreeze that uh, that that we can take a ride on a on a roller coaster that dates back to 1920, and I I think that's great. Hey Arthur, I've been sitting on this question for about two months for you, because I almost okay. emailed you or tweeted you with this, but I decided okay. to keep it for the show, uh -oh. and you just reminded me. So Jackrabbit, Big Dipper, Little Dipper, how come all these coasters from the 1940s, 50s, and 60s all had similar names? <laughs> I can't answer that, Ryan. I'm, 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 I'm sure that there are historians out there who could, and and maybe that might make an interesting column. Actually, maybe I should write yeah, about it. Feel free. Um, yeah, I, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, I would imagine, um, partly there were only a handful of folks designing these coasters. If you if you study the history of them, you'll see the same names over and over, building them, and maybe they just kind of recycled the names partly, um, or maybe they were inspired by successful coasters that had that name in other parts of the country. And when they wanted to build theirs, maybe they copied it, but I'm only speculating. I'm not really sure why. Yeah. I mean, my only thought is, uh, I mean, if we had this conversation 40 or 50 years from now, they'd be like, why are so many rides named wild mouse? So maybe that was just like a jackrabbit was that type <laughs> of ride and it wasn't written, but it was understood. Yeah. You ever thought about that? Could be. Could be, could be, yeah. I don't know. What's the uh, next oldest coaster? Or your next oldest park, sorry. Well, <laughs> the next oldest park, right. Uh, we're going to stick stay in New York, and we're going to go to Sylvan Beach Amusement Park, uh, which dates back to the 1870s. It's a little unclear exactly what year it began. This is even smaller than Seabreeze, I believe. It's another park I have not been to. Um, it's located on a lake. Um, and it has, uh, kind of like Seabreeze has some vintage rides that, that remain there, including a rare Rocco plane. I'm not sure if you guys know what a Rocco oh, plane yeah, is. Oh yeah, we used to have one It kind of looks like, <laughs> yeah, okay. So, you know, it kind of looks like a, like a, like a Ferris wheel that's about to topple over. <laughs> yeah. And instead of, instead of seats that, that swivel like a traditional Ferris wheel, um, they, they rock around and, and, uh. Um, uh, they have they have these egg shaped kind of cages that that 
sort of uh, rock and run. They and it looks delightfully old, uh, and there are very few of them left. But Sylvan Beach has one of them. Uh, also has a rotor, which uh, folks who are familiar with a rotor, um, and and it has one of my favorite flat rides. I don't know if you guys are familiar with a tip top or a bubble yep. bounce, but I used to love yeah. these when I was a little kid. And there were very very few of them left, and that alone is worth a trip to Sylvan Beach, I think. So I've got to get out there someday. And yeah, for me, it'd be worth going out to try the rotor again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don, I think we have a road trip coming up. We've got to go we to Silver Beach. Do. And, and I'll just yeah, be here doing the podcast alone, I guess. Now, uh, so a, a tip no, talk, Ryan. just to clarify, <laughs> I, I know of a ride. You're, you're welcome to come along, Ryan. Well, yeah, yeah, that's that's a pity invite. I'm not doing that. Um, but like, so a tip top, just to clarify, uh, I want to make sure I have the right ride. So that's people load into tubs in a platform that they can free spin and then it pops up in the air. Yes. Okay, cool. Then I have ridden that. Those things... I can handle them. I bet 60% of people can't, at least the way I drive them. <laughs> well, yeah, if you're, if you're spinning that wheel, yeah, you're, you're, you're going to be pretty disoriented. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's funny you bring that up. Uh, we may have talked about this before, Ryan. Mm -hmm. I, I can't remember, but uh, I am no spring chicken. I've been doing this for a long, long time. I'm, I'm, uh, I, I used to say I'm well into the throes of middle age, but I don't even know if I can claim that anymore. Um, and yet... I am still able to go on spinning rides, which uh, many of my contemporaries are not able to do. I've been blessed with a, a cast iron stomach, which is great considering the uh, the profession that I have. Uh, so I, 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 it's been many years since I've been on a tip top, and I'm pretty sure I could still handle it. And I and I hope to try it one of these. I days consider that a challenge. Again. The next time you're in Cincinnati, we've got a little privately owned amusement park that's about three square acres called Stricker's Grove. They have a tip top. Uh -huh. We're going to have the Arthur Levine challenge. <laughs> <laughs> Just make sure you have a bucket nearby. The whole, you yeah. ride in a bucket. You're fine. Okay. Okay. The All next right. oldest park. Um, I, I'm cheating a little bit on this next one because it's not really a park. Um, this is Coney Island uh, and the, the original Coney Island, not the one you guys have uh, in, in Ohio. Right. This is, this is um, Coney Island in Brooklyn, New York, um, which dates back to 1884. And it's not really a park. It's really a collection of parks, although these days it's, it's kind of two amusement parks, uh, Luna Park and um, Dino's Wonder Wheel Park. Uh, and then there are a handful of other independent contractors that run some attractions there as well, which they have for years. Um, the reason that I included it is, uh, even though it doesn't meet the definition of a park, it's so important to the history of uh, the industry that it seemed to me it was it was critical that I include Coney Island on this list. And, uh, and, and so that's why I have. And of course, um, you know, folks, I think, are quite familiar with, with Coney Island. Um, it's uh, got the 1927 cyclone, uh, the the original wooden roller coaster that that kind of turned into itself and uh, was so popular is so popular I should say that um, it's generically coasters that uh, that 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 do that are known as cyclone coasters these days and many coasters <laughs> have copied that name Ryan. Uh, I was going to bring cyclones. that up. <laughs> Right, right. But that that's the original. And, um, and and of course, the Wonder Wheel. And I know you guys had Dino on a, a couple of weeks ago. And I've got to say, uh, Dino Vorderis is, as you discovered, I'm not sure if you knew him before he appeared with you guys, is one heck of a nice mm. guy, really one of the nicest people in the industry. For that matter, 
one of the nicest people I've ever met, and I'm proud to say that he is uh, a friend of mine as well, and just just a, a great guy. Um, again, Dino's Wonder Wheel Park, one of the the few remaining family-owned and operated parks, um, and Dino's such a good friend that he helped me fulfill a dream a, a few years ago. A couple of years ago, um, they opened the new Phoenix coaster that you guys were talking about, the suspended coaster, mm -hmm. and he allowed me to operate the coaster. I've always wanted to operate a coaster, and he gave me that opportunity, and uh, I was able to write about it and, and, and have a video of me operating the coaster, and that was a thrill of a lifetime. So shout out to Dino and, and, and his family, who are all wonderful, and, uh, and let's hear it for Coney Island. Um, you know, it's nothing like it was in its heyday, and man, oh man, what a heyday it had. Um, but it's on the rebound, and, and that's really wonderful to see. Um, there's all kinds of new activity there and, and new life, and um, they, they've added so many new attractions that I think they've sort of reached the capacity of the defined amusement area. If they're going to continue expanding, they're going to have to expand that amusement area, which I hope they do, um, and, and uh, you know, really kind of uh, regain uh, uh, some of its glory because uh, it, Coney Island to me is just just gives me such joy. Uh, I, I just love love going there and um, and and uh, it, it's doing what it's always done and that is providing a place for people of all cultures and all walks of life to come together and have fun um, and uh, escape the city for a little while and uh, and and uh, have have just great fun at Coney Island. So what a great place. It is. That's my introduction to Nathan's hot dogs. <laughs> you, can, you can't talk about Coney Island without talking about Nathan's hot dogs. No. Yeah, actually, uh, you said a couple weeks ago, but our interview with Dino was uh, today is Monday. We did it last Wednesday. So it was just a couple days ago we had him on the show. And I, um, I knew about Coney Island, but I, I didn't know much about it. So Don knew Dino going into it. And I, I can attest, what a nice guy. Um, we did about an hour with him on the show and he had fantastic insights and just a fascinating story, but we still talked to him for probably another 45 minutes after we were done recording. Cause he was talking about living surprised. in New York and cause we were joking around about yep. that. We made a joke about how, if we go to Dino's wonder wheel, since there's no parking, we're just going to park at his house and, <laughs> and take the monorail there or something like that. But yeah. Uh, so previous episode, uh, episode 36 Dino from Dino's wonder wheel. Couldn't recommend it more. I completely agree with you. I, I loved listening to uh, to you guys talking with Dino. He's, as I said, just one of the nicest guys in the industry. Absolutely. Next up. So for next up, we uh, we go back to Pennsylvania and go to Dorney Park, um, which dates back to 1884. And, um, you know, th this is kind of similar to many of the other parks that we've been talking about. Folks who go to Dorney Park today know it as a Cedar Fair Park, and uh, it has contemporary thrills, but it does date back to, to 1884, um, where uh, I, I guess it began, it, was, uh, it, was, it, it had a zoo um, and refreshment stands and a hotel, um, uh, and, and it eventually evolved into a trolley park. Um, um, and, and added things like roller coasters and, and some uh, of the more contemporary rides. So uh, a similar story to many of the parks that we're talking about today. Uh, Dorney Park's a major park in Pennsylvania. Um, and again, if you're not kind of looking for it, you may not be aware of its history, but it does date back to 1884. I did not know it was that old. 
Yeah, and we've been um, kind of focusing on sort of the eastern part of the, the country, um, but the next park, we go all the way out to Utah, um, where in 1886, the Park Lagoon uh, first opened. And this is very high up on my bucket list. This is a park, another park I have not been to. Um, but I really want to get out there because they've been doing some, some crazy things lately there at, at, uh, that park. Um, and they've got primordial coming this year, which, uh, they haven't really released exactly what it's going to be, but it looks very, very intriguing. Um, but what a history, um, when, when, when you, when you go back to, um, to, uh, it's very earliest days, um, it's very first carousel predates, um, the, the the engine steam the steam engine which which uh, uh, made uh, mechanical carousels possible in later years. So in in its very earliest days, it was mules that provided the power for its very first carousel. And this is something I can relate to because uh, I live in Massachusetts and live near Salem, Massachusetts, which uh, folks may know as the Witch City. But there's a wonderful place called Salem Willows there. Um, which I, I, I'm going to be doing some research because I think it should probably be listed as a trolley park. It's a, a very, very small, tiny park, but it too um, had a carousel that was uh, mule powered. Uh, and um, the carousel building is still there to this day. You can see the, the conical form in the of the of the roof, and um, I've talked to st uh, the folks that own the building, and they they confirm that that's where the carousel was, and uh, so it, it's it's just amazing to me that you know the history of the industry and a place like Lagoon having these carousels that uh, that mules first opera uh, provided provided the power for, um, but Lagoon uh, th this day these days uh, has some some wonderful um, coasters and and other attractions. Uh, and um, but it dates back to 1886, so it's uh, it's the ninth oldest park on on my list here. And I, I have to say, this list isn't necessarily definitive. Um, there are other parks that would kind of um, uh, you you could fit in 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 between. But these are parks that we would recognize today as amusement parks. Um, you know, th there are some parks that maybe at one time had a coaster or a carousel and you know, was an amusement park at one point, and maybe today just is a place where you can go and get a slice of pizza or something. And so technically it's kind of still there, but um, so I, I kind of made some judgment calls when I put this list together. So I don't want anybody to think that this is some kind of definitive list. This is just kind of a, a list that I threw together based on some uh, some some principles that I, <laughs> that I came up with. Yeah, I think the loosely uh, we can say that you know, for whatever era it was in, it was considered what we consider to be an amusement park. So if it was beachfront with a roller rink, that sort of stuff in the 1800s, or, you know, the one roller coaster, and now they got steel coasters, that sort of stuff. That's what it sort of sounds like where, I mean, because we've got, for example, Lesortsville Lake near us, which is still mm -hmm. a park now, but it's a public park. Uh, and they have remnants of the park intentionally there, the old sky ride and stuff that you can't ride or anything, but... Um, that obviously wouldn't count, but, you know, as theme parks, as we know them evolve, that's how you can judge the age. At least that's the way I'm interpreting what you're giving us. Yeah. Awesome. What's next? 
So the final list on uh, the final park, I should say, on my list is Arnold's Park, which is in Arnold's Park, Iowa, dates back to 1889. And um, one of the things that makes this park unique uh, is that it, it is a free admission amusement park. Uh, there aren't too many of those left these days. Um, visitors pay per ride, uh, just as they have been doing for 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 decades. Um, and uh, in 1930. Um, the uh, wooden coaster that opened as the Giant Dips um, is now known as the legend, and it's still providing uh, thrills for folks um, on its figure eight course. So uh, it's a small park, um, and it's it's um, as I said, uh, one of its distinctions is is the fact that it's free admission, which a lot of folks uh, you know may not know exactly what that is because um, the pay one price where you you know you pay one price to get in at the front gate, uh, and then you can ride uh, as many rides as you want or as are able to get on, I, I guess is maybe the better way to put it, um, it is a relatively modern uh, convention, uh, probably dates back to the 80s, I think. Um, but prior to that, all parks either were free admission or they charged a modest admission, and then you paid per ride by buying tickets, uh, as you might do at a, at a a carnival or a, or a state fair these days. Um, so that's Arnold's Park. And uh, that's my list of the top 10 continuously operating uh, oldest amusement parks in the country. And uh, those listening, that's the kind of content you're going to get uh, when you read Arthur at uh, his uh, Substack. And again, Arthur, you want to go ahead and give out that URL again? Sure. It's about theme parks. That's A-B-O-U-T theme parks dot fun dot f-u-n and uh, folks can go there and they can sign up to receive uh, my newsletter uh, there is a free option where people can uh, they, they don't have to pay to receive my newsletter and then twice a week they'll in their uh, email inbox they'll get my my articles um, or there are uh, some paid options you can become a paid subscriber and get some of my bonus content uh, which includes things like my wrote it loved it uh, ride reviews. These are rides that I are attractions that I've been on in the past and uh, absolutely love them and provide uh, a review of them. Um, and and that's content that only paid subscribers can can get. That's one of the one of the things. So love to have you join uh, join me. And um, this is something I've been doing for just about a year now. This is kind of a new thing for me. I I used to write for USA Today and for um, other magazines and newspapers and uh, for online providers. And now I'm trying something different that a lot of journalists are doing and providing this direct to subscriber, uh, uh, using this direct to subscriber model. Um, so uh, rather than, uh, you know, trying to go out and um, compete for eyeballs and, and compete for folks uh, using search engine optimization, uh, I'm inviting people, like-minded people who love amusement parks, love theme parks, love roller coasters, love attractions, uh, to join me in this adventure and, um, and, and we can kind of form this little community and, and have some fun. And I'm so glad that uh, you guys are, are uh, subscribers. It's, it's great to have you on board and uh, great to be able to come here and, and, uh, and talk about it. Yeah, if you're interested in the industry, you know, again, I, I highly recommend that you subscribe. Uh, just some just some great content. And another uh, article that you recently uh, published is uh, The Secret Life of Pets is off the leash at Universal Studios Hollywood. Uh, what are your thoughts on Universal going to the dogs? 
um, well, the, the, the real big news at Universal Hollywood, of course, is the Super Nintendo World, which I also wrote about. Um, but I hadn't been back to the park um, since uh, before they opened uh, Secret Life of Pets. So when I was there recently for the opening of Super Nintendo World, I also got to experience uh, that ride. And it's great. I, I just thought it was it was so wonderful. Very cute. Um, for folks who are, are, are familiar with the terminology, I, I, I kind of refer to it as a, um, as a, as a plussed sea ticket ride. And, and by that, I mean um, Disneyland and Disney World when they uh, for many years, when they first opened, had had their their ticket books, and um, we were just talking about how you know they uh, th there was no such thing as a pay one price model, and that included Disneyland and Disney World, and they had um, different categories of rides, uh, starting with A tickets and going all the way up to E tickets for the very best rides. Uh, those are the ones that cost the most, and the C ticket rides were the the classic dark rides um, like. Uh, uh, the Snow White ride and um, uh, the Mr. Toad ride and Pinocchio ride. Um, so these these classic dark rides, the Alice in Wonderland ride is another one at Disneyland. These classic rides, um, classic dark rides, uh, th that's what this reminded me of, except just kind of... Um, um, uh, just kind of using today's technology and, and incorporating all the latest, greatest... Um, theme park tricks. Um, so it, obviously based on the Secret Life of Pets movie uh, featuring those characters, I thought that the queue was was almost as uh, appealing as the ride itself. It was very, very cute where you make your way through the apartment building where uh, the dogs live uh, before you get on the ride. Um, and uh, then once you're on the ride, what, what the, the convention here is that you yourself have been turned into a uh, puppy and uh, you're, you're a, uh, looking for your forever home because you don't have an owner. And so that's, that's sort of the story of the ride that uh, the characters are helping to uh, groom you and, and place you in, in front of prospective owners so that you can find your forever home. I thought it was incredibly cute very endearing, very appealing, and um, would highly recommend it. And I know that Universal has kind of um, developed this reputation for having attractions with lots of screens. Um, and and, and uh, there's been some criticism about that. Uh, in, in my estimation, maybe uh, folks are a little bit too heavy-handed with their criticism sometimes about Universal and its, and its reliance on screens. Nevertheless, The Secret Life of Pets proves with all of the wonderful animatronics in there, that they're quite capable of um, delivering a, a classic ride with animatronics and practical sets and, and kind of doing it the old fashioned way, but using the latest, greatest technology to make it uh, very contemporary and very appealing. Hey, Arthur, I've got a question for you. Um, so you, yes, you right. mentioned uh, in your description, you said that the queue is almost as good or maybe better than the ride. I kind of want you to expand mm -hmm. on that because uh, a perfect example of something like that is the Jimmy Fallon ride at, um, at Universal Orlando. Uh, because mm -hmm. my feedback that I got before I, I actually experienced the ride was that the queue is really good, but the ride is, yeah, 
you know, and I think that's a fair assessment, but I think the sum of all parts is fantastic because the queue is that good. It's a great experience. Do you think that um, there's substance to that as in maybe the ride can just be the tail end of the experience while the queue is the heart of the experience? Like what, what are your thoughts on that with, with your experience in modern rides? Well, I do think that it, um, that it should be taken as a whole. Um, you know, as you sa said, kind of the, the, the sum of its parts, um, the, um, the art of building attractions has definitely evolved. And I think that much more attention is being paid to the pre-show, to the queue experience. And The Secret Life of Pets is, is a great example of that. Um, it's a, as I also say in my article, it is a very slow loading and slow um, moving queue so you're in line for quite a while um and thankfully the uh experience of of being in that queue is made much better because there are actually animatronics and set pieces uh and and um the, these wonderfully themed rooms that you walk through on your way to get onto the ride. Um, and so I would definitely agree with you, Ryan, that I, I, I am seeing this trend where uh, the queue, another great example is um, at Super Nintendo World, the, uh, the Mario Kart ride also has an incredible queue, a very long one as well. Um, and and there, are, there are many other examples of, of uh, highly themed, very immersive cues and i i think it's it's a great um i think it's a great trend that that we're seeing yeah i i think that we could uh i'm not going to dive into super nintendo world because we've talked about it on the show quite a bit and i feel like we could have you on for a whole show dedicated to that and the impact that it could have um but one thing that i've noticed about especially super nintendo world and i'm sure other people had it with harry potter although personally i've never really been into harry potter because i was too old when it came out but super nintendo or and nintendo in general is something that i grew up with so it's like i for my whole life i've wanted to visit the mushroom kingdom i can go there now in california you know i, I think that's a really cool what a time to be alive right <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I yep. agree. It's a great time to be. It's a great time to be covering the industry. So you know, the three of us are—that's for sure—are where we need to be. I think a, we need to do a bot podcast live from the ride. I've always wanted to do that. <laughs> all right, <laughs> coming soon. Awesome. Okay, so uh, Arthur, in another article, you uh, rated Lightning Rod at Dollywood four point seven five out of five. Um, mm -hmm. Just to disclose bias, Lightning Rod's one of my favorite rides. How did you come to that mm -hmm. conclusion of 4.75 out of 5? What do you rate on it? And for you, what would, let's just use uh, Lightning Rod as an example, but how would you make that a perfect 5? <laughs> well, um, first of all, I have to say that there aren't, I, I'm not um, particularly generous with my really high ratings. Um, I try to um, maintain the integrity of my reviews and my rating system by, um, you know, being kind of judicious about who gets which coasters and which rides get the, the, the really high ratings. Um, and I definitely agree with you, Ryan, that Lightning Rod, in my estimation, is one of the world's greatest coasters, certainly one of the greatest coasters that I've ever been on. Uh, and therefore, it, it, it rates the 4.75. As to, you know, what what um, what uh, leads me to give it that kind of a rating, 
a lot of it's subjective. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's just kind of you know my my experience. Um, but the kinds of things that I look at are, are things like the ride experience itself. You know, is it smooth? Is it is it rough? Um, what's the thrill factor like? Um, what's the airtime like? What's the layout like? How does the coaster integrate with the park and the and its environment? Um, is there any novelty to it? You know, what, what is what makes it different from all other mm -hmm. rides out there? And as you guys know, uh, Lightning Rod, um, well, at the time that it debuted anyways, it was the world's first launched wooden coaster. It no longer is it's sort of a Franken coaster. Now it's not really a wooden coaster. Um, and it really wasn't a traditional wooden coaster when, when it opened either. Um, but mostly I would say is, you know, kind of does it achieve what it set out to do? And by that, I mean, um, it really wouldn't be fair <laughs> to compare, let's say, the Coney Island Cyclone, which is a wonderful ride, to this day, if you didn't know anything about that ride and didn't know that it opened in 1927 and its incredible history, or the history of Coney Island, for that matter, and you wrote it today, you would say, this is a great ride, uh, even though it's so old. But is it, would it be fair to compare the Coney Island Cyclone to, say, Lightning Rod or to maybe to Mako at, at SeaWorld? Orlando might be another example. I, I don't think so, and, and, and I, I wouldn't necessarily you know, rate it on, on the same system because they're, or I, I wouldn't use the same, um, the, the same you know, rating uh, qualifications um, for, for, for something like that. So, you know, I look, does it achieve what it set out to do? And in the case of Lightning Rod, you've got this launched wooden coaster, um, set it in, into the mountainside. Um, does it achieve what it set out to do? Oh my goodness. Yes. Boy, does, does it, it doesn't it? <laughs> oh my gosh. The airtime that, that quadruple down, I mean, and you're just way off in the, in the, on the mountainside there, way off in the woods. You can't even really see what's going on from the midway. Um, it's, it's a fabulous, fabulous ride. And I defy anybody to get off it and say, holy moly, what just happened to me? That was, that was incredible. Um, and to me, you know, I was grinning ear to ear and knew right away it was going to get a high ranking and, and I kind of settled on 4.75. So there you go. Yeah. And it's, it's a ride that would only work in a setting like Dollywood because the fact that, I mean, the quad down best element on any coaster, I think, I think that's the most exciting 10 or so seconds of any ride I've ever been on, except for maybe like top the dragster king to call launch kind of stuff. But coming down the mountain, if that were built just on steel, who cares? It'd be a good ride. But the fact that it comes down the mountain makes it so unique that I think that it really kind of kicks it over the line. I, I think it's just a great ride. Yeah, and that launch, I mean, there are plenty of launch coasters and, and more and more every year. Um, but that launch going uphill uh, up to that 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 cupola and and going off into the mountain. Oh my goodness! It just takes your breath away and uh, just loved it from start to finish. Um, I was out there for the grand opening of uh, Lightning Rod, and uh, Dolly Parton herself was there, and she she performed a song from the nineteen fifties, uh, I think, or maybe the nineteen sixties that that she recorded way way back when. Um, and unfortunately, Lightning Rod was not ready to open. So they had this big grand opening and Dolly was there and, you know, all the, everything was, was in place except the coaster was not ready to be opened. Um, and it, it took me a while to get back and actually get on there and, and it was well worth the Boy, wait. Boy, was so. it. Yeah, what, I, what I like about Lightning Rod is it's 
really two different experiences if you do it during the day and then you come back and do it again yes. at night. So I think yes, that's, yes. That, that's another thing for me that is important is, is this right experience change dramatically between day and night. And on that one, it does. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you brought that up, Don. Yeah, I mentioned that in my article. It is like a completely different animal at night. <laughs> yes, I agree. And 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 wonderful. Absolutely. Yeah, wonderful. Wild Eagle, I, I notice, is a very different night ride, too. I never would have thought it. Uh, but I happened to be there after dark during the Christmas time because they're not always open after dark. Um, and it was very thrilling at night. It's just to throw that out there. <laughs> All right. All right. Moving on. Um, the micro parks have become a macro trend. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. This is something we're seeing more and more. Um, just recently, what I, what I was writing about is that um, the uh, Merlin folks, uh, the folks who, who operate the Lego land parks and other parks, <clears throat> excuse me, are, uh, have announced that they're going to be opening the second Peppa Pig theme park uh, here in the States in Texas. And uh, coincidentally, it is being built in a, it's being built near Dallas in a, in a uh, area in Texas where Universal recently announced that they're building a park as well, both of which will be um, what what uh, I and others in the industry are referring to as a, as a micro park. And what that means is rather than a full day experience like you would get at King's Island or um, at Disneyland, um, where you, you know, you pretty much have to set aside the whole day if you really want to, or perhaps even two days if you want to get the full experience of, of, of most of these parks. Um, a micro park is meant to be experienced uh, over the course of hours and not, not, not a day, maybe two, three, four hours. And more often than not, they are geared to families with young children, in some cases, very young children, like Peppa Pig theme park, which is uh, for preschoolers. And they don't really have the attention span to, um, you know, last an entire day at Disneyland to go early in the morning and there be their rope drop and then to see the fireworks at the end of the day they'll they'll they will have collapsed long before then um so we're seeing more and more of these and uh in addition to uh, the Peppa Pig theme park, one of which is adjacent to Legoland, Florida, and this new one that they're building in Texas, uh, in Universal's park that they announced. Um, there's also a park known as Katmandu, which I believe just opened uh, in Punta Cana. And I'm going to be going there in, um, in a few weeks uh, to check it out. This is another micro park. Uh, and this one's quite interesting in the sense that it's only has four major attractions, but those four attractions are um, uh, are on sort of the the uh, e-ticket Disney Universal level. The, these are real sophisticated, high-end attractions. One of which is um, uses a roving motion-based vehicle, kind of like the Spider-Man uh, ride at uh, at Universal Orlando. So we're talking about some some very sophisticated, very costly, high-end uh, attractions. Um, but there's only four of them, and so for people who are on vacation in Punta Cana and maybe spending a day at the beach, uh, and they want to take their family, uh, you know, maybe after they've been sunning themselves on the beach and uh, and they want to go for a few hours to this this small park well there it is um, another one that that is being built um, and it has been delayed a bit is the Mattel Adventure Park uh, which is coming to Arizona uh, also another 
micro park meant to be experienced, you know, over the course of maybe four or five hours, geared to very young kids, featuring um, uh, themes uh, such as Barbie and uh, Rock'em Sock'em Robots, I think, and uh, Thomas the Tank Engine and other uh, toys uh, and properties that, that fall under the Mattel umbrella. So this is something that we're seeing more and more. And um, I, I think it's great because not everybody wants to spend an entire day and not everybody perhaps has the financial resources to go to a, a destination park like the Disney and Universal Parks, but maybe want to experience, you know, this level of um, this level of, uh, of, of, of a park without having to commit the time and maybe, you know, less money. Um, so I think it's a great trend and um, I'm, I'm anxious to see uh, what else we might see. I, I have a feeling that Universal is maybe kind of testing the waters. And if this park goes well in Texas, there may be a Universal Park coming to your neck of the woods wherever you may be <laughs> that you're talking to us specifically yeah i mean uh you probably saw i'm talking about i'm talking to you guys and i'm talking to you know everybody, everybody. you to understood yeah. listening uh yeah i saw the the hot wheels train for the for the hot wheels coaster at iapa right. didn't that look great right yes yes absolutely i think there's going to be two hot wheels themed coasters there i believe um yeah it's been a bit delayed it was supposed to open actually i think late last year and then they were saying this year and now it looks like it's going to be 2024 oh. um and it's exciting too for the folks who live in arizona because there is no major uh amusement park theme park in uh, arizona at least not to my knowledge uh so this it'll be great to have that there for them yeah, I'm looking at an article. I actually did not know that it was getting delayed. Uh, so that's news to me. But let me pull this up really quickly. Uh, and it's saying 2024. I, it's got to be supply chain. I mean, it really does have to be. Because just imagine how easily it would be to get hung up. And it could push you back a year pretty easily. Yeah, it could be supply chain. It could be, you know, um, financing. Um, it could be permitting. I'm not really sure what the reasons are, but whatever the reasons, it's been delayed. However, um, I don't know what you exactly what you're looking at, Ryan, but I think they have a construction cam on their website. It's they're definitely building it. It's coming. It will be built, uh, just delayed, and uh, should be exciting when they when they do build. Yeah, it. I'm looking at. Uh... NBC four out of California. They just, I just happened to be the article that I pulled up and it actually li linked to mm -hmm. the construction cam. And yeah, there's, uh, I mean, I'm just looking at it now and uh, they're definitely clearing. You can definitely see formations and stuff. Like there's stuff there. Um, yeah. And, and, and like many of these uh, parks, like, um, like uh, Kathmandu and Punta Cana and, um, and, and, and some of the other parks, uh, Universal as well in Texas, this one in Arizona will be um, a, a resort. It, there's there's going to be a hotel component and a, uh, uh, I think, a, a dining entertainment complex. So it won't just be the park. It'll be kind of a, a self-contained resort as well. And the park will be the, the main drawer, one of the main drawers anyways. Perfect. All right. Um, so let's move along to a park that is very much open right now. So uh, Disney's California Adventure. Um, and I am not good at saying this word. Um, I just learned the word charcuterie board the other day. <laughs> I think we might've discussed that on the show. Uh, but, uh, San Francisco, is that close enough that you guys, I think you got it, Ryan. Okay, San Francisco, it took it. me all week to practice that. So they're, uh, they're adding San Francisco. See, now I'm already messing it up, but, uh, they're adding that to California's, uh, 
uh, Disney's California Adventure. Do you think that they are in the process of taking the California out of California Adventure? And do you think that it was reasonable to have a theme park themed to California in California? I always thought that was a weird juxtaposition. I think the original intention of Disney when they built Disney California Adventure was to try to appeal to tourists, to people visiting the area who may not have the time to spend uh, going up and down the coast. California is quite a big state and, uh, uh, you know, going all the way from Northern California down to Southern California to see everything that it has to offer, the mountains and the, the ocean and um, Hollywood and everything else that it has to offer um, would be difficult. So I think Disney's thought was let's try to provide, you know, the theme park version of what a California trip might be so that uh, in an easily digestible form format, uh, folks can can get a sense of what California is all about. That was the original intention. Um, now, whether that was misguided or not, I'm not really sure. Um, what I can say, though, is that it certainly was underfunded. Uh, and, and Disney itself, I think, has, has pretty much readily admitted this, um, that it, it, it um, especially sitting next to the crown jewel that is Disneyland kind of paled in comparison, um, even though it was it was built as a full day park. And I think when it first opened, you had to pay the same admission to get into Disney California Venture as Disneyland. It, it never really, um, you know, never really lived up to the model that is Disneyland at, at first. Since then, they have invested um, many hundreds of millions of dollars and um and and it is i think on par with disneyland now in the process they've kind of geared away from the california aspect of the park um you know things like paradise pier which was disney's version of a of, of california's many seaside amusement parks um is is now pixar pier so it's it's got the the intellectual property um kind of driving it as as many of the things that disney do soaring over california the 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 wonderful ride is now soaring uh, i think it's called soaring around the world so instead of just focusing on california you, you kind of go around the world uh the hollywood tower hotel that uh, where the twilight zone tower of terror was is now the guardians of the galaxy ride so slowly but surely they're kind of removing that original uh, California theme and replacing it with um, mostly with intellectual property, uh, including in this case Pacific Wharf, which was this small area uh, devoted to um, Northern California um, uh, culture and 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 uh, you know the, the the locale up there uh, is now becoming San Francisco. Still has a tie to um, San Francisco, um, but with a Big Hero Six overlay. Um, so again, kind of getting away from that um, exclusive California focus and making it more of um, uh, including uh, its, its, its intellectual properties, in this case, Big Hero 6. Absolutely. All right. Uh, another article that you recently published is about augmented reality or AR. Uh, it holds mm -hmm. a promise as a means of storytelling at park. Augmented reality or AR, it holds a promise as a means of storytelling at parks. Uh, you recently wrote about this. Um, what are your thoughts? Well, 
I, um, I, I've been really looking forward to um, seeing what park designers could do, attraction designers could do with augmented reality, because I think the experiment with virtual reality has not been, uh, I, I don't know that the experience has, has really worked. I know, you know, you guys go to IAPA as, as I do, and I, we still see virtual reality all over the expo show floor. Um, but I don't know that it's, it's really made the, uh, th that it's had the impact that uh, I think folks maybe originally uh, had hoped for. And, and, and I believe the reason why is, is because there's an inherent flaw with virtual reality. And that flaw is that by putting on the goggles, the virtual reality goggles, you are totally disconnected and isolated from um, the friends and family that you came with, from the park. You, it, it's really just this isolating individual experience. You may as well be at home. There's really no reason for you to be at the amusement park, even though you may be on a roller coaster and you know feeling these sensations. The the visuals that you're seeing, uh, you know, you're, you're just disconnected from from your surroundings. What's great about Augmented reality is that it can provide all of this wonderful digital media, but you're not cut off at all from your friends and family who you came to the park with. Uh, you're not cut off from the park. Uh, you, you're not cut off from the attraction itself. You can experience it as you would a normal attraction, but it's augmented, hence the name, uh, by these, um, you know, this this digital media. So the first major attraction, at least the first major one that that, that I'm aware of, uh, first major one at a at a at a at a major park, is Mario Kart uh, Mario Kart uh, Bowser's uh, Challenge at Super Nintendo World at Universal Studios Hollywood, and I was delighted with it. I I thought it was great, and I think that it shows the the promise of um, of augmented reality. Um, I thought that, especially for being, you know, a relatively new technology, at least in the attraction space, I thought Universal killed it. Um, that you're able to go on this dock ride and you've got all of the traditional dock ride elements of lighting and fog and sensory effects and um, media actually that's projected on screens, animatronics, set pieces, all the things that you'd want in, in, in a, in a high-end dock ride. But in addition, you've got these visors on and you've got this digital media that's projected onto it. In this case, um, you know, the characters from, from Mario. Um, and it was great. I just thought it was great. And um, can't wait to see what else uh, Universal and other attraction designers come up with when it comes to augmented reality. So I think it holds great, great promise. Yeah, I'd agree. Uh, absolutely. Well, Arthur, we uh, almost every show we do a segment. Uh, I don't think we did it the last time we were on since we were flying this one solo, but we talk about uh, six interesting articles or news pieces. Uh, so this is right up your alley uh, that, you know, in the theme park industry from the past week or the past month. Uh, you want to stick around and mm -hmm. discuss some theme park news with us? Sure, let's do it. Awesome. All right. So this is a segment that we like to do that we talk about some of our favorite articles from the past week or the last month. Uh, and we call it the pick six. Don, kick us off. All right, engaging robots could be roaming Disney parks in the near future. Theme park analyst Dennis Spiegel, he said he expects the dynamic robot technology will be roaming among the guests at Disney parks within the next five years. 
Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I, I can take this if, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, I, um, with all props to Dennis, um, these dynamic robots have been in the parks for, for some time now. Uh, going back actually quite a few years, um, there was uh, Lucky the Dinosaur, uh, uh, who was not at Disney's Animal Kingdom for very long, but um, he was this roaming dinosaur. You know, most of the animatronics, um, which really Disney pioneered, um, up to the point of Lucky the Dinosaur, were tethered to the ground. If you wanted to see an animatronic, you had to go to a, a theater or to r ride a, a, an attraction. And the, the, uh, the uh, animatronics, the robots, were, were tethered to the ground and couldn't move. But Lucky the Dinosaur was mobile. He was, he was actually able to roam around the park and interact with guests. Um, after that, there, was, uh, there, there were Muppets, I, I think, at Disney's Hollywood Studios that uh, roamed the park. So we've seen these before. What's different is um, these, di th these dynamic robots uh, that um, were... Um, that uh, were debuted at South by Southwest that uh, Josh DeMauro showed just, a, uh, I think, about a week ago or two weeks ago. Um, you know, these are very um, sophisticated, sort of next-level iterations of, of, uh, of, of robots. And um, I, I think in addition to, you know, in this case, this robot could stand up and start roller skating, which is kind of wild. But I think it may even maybe at some point incorporate things like being able to interact with guests and track eye movement and, um, you know, understand your language using artificial intelligence and maybe respond to you. So th this is really the next level. And I do agree with Dennis that we're going to be seeing more and more of these um, in the parks, in attractions, and um, it's, it's, it's an exciting development. Would you say that this is a positive thing or a negative thing? Because it seems like um, when we added like virtual reality to rides, it was something that was really exciting. And it was like the, the possibilities are endless. But as you kind of stated, there was something that was taken away that was pretty, pretty big. Do you think that there's anything to be taken away when they're doing animatronics instead of humans in costumes? I don't know that it's necessarily going to replace humans in costumes. I think it, it will supplement them. At least that's my my take on it. I mean, who knows what will really happen once Disney does, in fact, introduce these types of characters uh, into the parks. Um, but I would I would anticipate that it would it would supplement and not replace characters, uh, especially you know the face characters like. Cinderella and some of the other characters that uh, you, you want to interact with with humans you don't don't want to just be interacting with with robots and uh, so I think Disney is all about providing an escape from reality and making you feel um, you know ma making you feel uh, uh, optimistic about the future and 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 uh, uh, reassured about uh, your place in the world, and I, the last thing I think it wants to do is 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 displace humans and 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 uh, uh, insert us into this dystopian nightmare. So I, I think they have to be careful about how they introduce this, but I, and I think that they will because they're they're pretty smart. The, the way that I kind of envision it, and this is probably the direction they're going to go, is not only now can you meet a stormtrooper and Chewbacca, but you can meet a life-size Grogu, like the little baby Yoda, mm -hmm. Yoda thing. Yeah. And that would be an animatronic, yeah. um, yep. which I, I think would be cool. I mean, I'm, I'm on board. 
I'm on board too. I'm on board too. I would not be on board if what you say would come to pass in, in that all of a sudden, instead of meeting Mickey Mouse and Goofy at the park, we meet the the anima, the the robot version of them. That doesn't sound too cool to me. No, that I'm would not, not be fun. That. Yeah. No. All right. Well, let's go on to story number two. That takes us uh, over to Orlando, and it looks like uh, Universal has already announced uh, the dates for Halloween Horror Nights for 2023, uh, and tickets are already on sale. So the event, I just pulled this up. I believe it's September 1st through October 31st of 2023. Arthur, have you been to Horror Nights, and what are your thoughts if you have? I go every single year. My son, uh, my adult son, is one of the biggest horror fans in the world, and it's 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 uh, father and son weekend when we go to Universal Orlando every year. I, I love it, and obviously this is something that is resonating with fans because this will be the longest Halloween Horror Nights that Universal Orlando has ever presented, and um, also in the news, uh, Universal is not only building this um, this park this uh, Micro Park in Texas, but they're also building a year-round haunt experience in Las Vegas at Area 15. So obviously, people love horror. They love what Universal is doing with um, with horror uh, with with uh, its Halloween Horror Nights, uh, and um, they're expanding it. And um, Six Flags, as as both you guys probably know too, is is uh, instead of Spring Break, they're holding Scream Break at their parks and bringing back the haunts that we typically see in the fall for spring break. So this is something that is definitely a trend. Um, and, you know, we're two days into spring, I think, yeah. when Universal Orlando announced uh, <laughs> Halloween Horror Nights. So clearly this is something that people are excited about, the park's excited about, and uh, great to see. Awesome. Yeah, I remember when tickets used to go on sale in August, then in July, then in June, and here we are in March. <laughs> right. Yeah, when Halloween Horror Nights first started, I, I could be wrong about this. I believe it was one night. It was October thirty first. That was, it was Halloween Horror Night. I don't, I don't know that they called it that, but it slowly expanded. They, they quickly realized that they had a, a huge success on their hands, and my God, it's grown into this subgenre. <laughs> that it has. All right, uh, give kids the World Village in Orlando. It's opening what they're going to call. Olivia's Oasis next month. It's a relaxation spa dedicated exclusively to wish parents, adult family members, and the caregivers. Arthur, have you had a chance to uh, maybe tour this village? I have not. I've been to Orlando many, many times, but have not made it over to give the give kids the world village. I'm certainly familiar with it. I um, am. Um, I admire the work that they do and and support them any way I can. Um, I don't really know much about Olivia's Oasis. I think it maybe has something to do with a, a spa, perhaps. I'm not, I'm not it really is a exactly spa. sure. It's a spa. It is a spa. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it's great. I mean, the work that they do, uh, God bless them and, and the folks that that, that support them. It, it, it's it's wonderful uh, for, for uh, you know, kids who are participating, give kids uh, the world. I, I, I think it's great. Um, um, and and uh, so I think it's great that they're, adding this uh and and making it wonderful for both the kids that go there and their and their families and parents yeah, i had a chance to tour it several years ago it uh it really is a magical place for these families and it's a way for them to you know be able to have those cost-free vacations but also for the families the parents to be able to see other uh parents and families that are going through the same things that they are mm-hmm 
All right. Um, so moving along, uh, we're heading back to Dollywood. Uh, and it appears that their $299, how big is this apple pie that they sell? For those of you who have been there, you know what I'm talking about. But they sell a giant apple pie for $299 that I guess somebody who uploaded on TikTok and has over 3 million views right now. So uh, very few people buy the whole pie, but you can buy a slice that will feed four people. And that is $19. So yeah. has anyone had the apple pie <laughs> at Dollywood? I mean, any of us three, not, not anyone it. in the world. <laughs> I've seen it, but I've not had it. Yeah, I've seen it as well. I have not had it. Um, it it's mystifying to me. I I, I do not frequent TikTok. It, it, it's, it's just mind-boggling to me that three million people have seen this. Of course, I, I'm glad that you guys included in the information you provided to me that this was introduced in 2010. This isn't something that that Dolly would just introduced. Um, and it was introduced as part of its 25th anniversary, as you point out. And what made it unique is that it weighs 25 pounds for its 25th anniversary. It's an enormous pie. Keeping in mind a typical apple pie is about two pounds. This is, you know, 12, 13 times the size of a normal apple pie. So you know, people are probably outraged. Oh my God, it costs $299, but a $19 slice that feeds four, that works out to what? Um, Five bucks a person. Like four four fifty <laughs> a slice. That's yeah. that's pretty reasonable, I think. Uh, and and considering you know the the cinnamon bread and everything else that Dollywood makes, I'm sure it's absolutely delicious and wonderful because all the food there is. So uh, so so great for Dollywood for doing this. I have no idea why it uh, it it. Uh, blew up on TikTok. Well, if you don't know, you don't know. My problem would be, I'm not a big apple pie fan, so there's a little <laughs> bit of a bias here, but to be completely <laughs> frank, if I stood there at the um, the pastry shop in the front of the park, and even if I had $300 cash and I was sent by my boss to buy the, um, the apple pie, I'd probably just end up buying $300 worth of the cinnamon bread anyway. <laughs> so... That was, if yeah, I was gonna say, and, like and then get of, fired for insubordination. But yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't keep my job very long, but I'd have three hundred dollars worth of cinnamon <laughs> bread. So jokes on you. Um, so it's funny because I uh, I actually had to call Dollywood over uh, this past week to book uh, my Dream War uh, night, and uh, the woman was giving me the rundown, and she was like, "Well, there's a Starbucks here, and oh, by the way, if you like our cinnamon bread, they sell it here." I was like, ah, "Nobody likes your cinnamon bread. They love your cinnamon bread." <laughs> so we had some fun with that. Awesome. And you're going to love the Dream War Resort, by the way, Ryan. It's it's great. You know, it's um, it's honestly, it's been a bucket list thing of mine ever since it opened. Uh, we have the availability. Uh, the price is right since it's still a little early in the season. And we needed a place to stay that night. So I'm super excited. But uh, I'm definitely going to be uploading photos and video to uh, to our social media posts and so on and our, our YouTube to check out. Awesome. Don, have you ever stayed at Dream War? I have not. Want to though? You should plan to. <laughs> awesome. Maybe maybe over Thanksgiving I'll do that. Check uh, it out. Okay. Awesome. All right. All right. Air Force One set to open Friday at Fun Spot Atlanta. Uh, a lot of cool elements with this roller coaster. It's got the first ever what they call Raven Trust Dive. It's uh, one of a uh, first of its kind. Uh, zero G roll. It goes over an arcade. 146 foot first drop. 83 degree angle. Uh, top speed of 64 miles per hour, 3,400 feet of track. Uh, this looks like it's going to be a really, really fun coaster. Absolutely. And the fact that it's at this little tiny park in uh, outside of Atlanta is is kind of amazing. Um, 
this is this harks back to the original RMC iBox hybrids, um, which is um, the Texas New Texas Giant and Iron Rattler at um, at Six Flags Fiesta Texas, uh, the the two Texas coasters. Um, since then, RMC has introduced even bigger, faster um, our, uh, hybrid iBox coasters. But there's nothing to sneeze at with the original New Texas Giant, and this one rivals it. Uh, it's 154 feet tall, I think, as you said, Don, 64 miles per hour. This is a major, major coaster. And I, I, you may have said this, and forgive me if you did, but I believe that that, um, that uh, G-Roll is, is the uh, longest in the world. It's, it's, uh, you're yeah, going to be upside yeah. down for, for quite a while. So, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it, it's going to be a major, major coaster, and certainly put you know this little tiny park on the map i would think yeah great logo really cool colors red white and blue so uh looking forward to checking that out yeah and it uh it, i think don and i were discussing for one in the air i believe it goes over the arcade like uh, so it's got arcade, a kind of cool yes. element like that awesome all right so uh next up it takes us up to sandusky at cedar point so we've got a little bit more information uh obviously you know their grand pavilion is their biggest attraction this year but you're having a pretty good year when the coaster is the second biggest attraction that you're adding that year. Uh, so the Wild Mouse Coaster, which is set to open with the park in 2023, is going to have six cars. And we actually know their names now. Uh, Ziggy, Zaggy, Dizzy, Maisie, Chase, and Larry. So I believe three are going to be mice <laughs> and three are going to be cheese. And they did a train reveal of one of the cheese cars uh, at IAPA. So that was really cool to be there for that. Uh, those look awesome. Um, but five of the cars are going to be able to rotate 360 degrees, and then one is going to be a special car. Now, I wasn't able to figure out what a special car means, if it's just going to not spin or if it's going to do something sp special. So uh, we'll have to figure out what that means. But man, Zamperla Wild Mouses, I'm so glad that they're a thing now. You know, that they're they're still popular and they're still building them. Because spinning the this sensation of a spinning Wild Mouse is just insane, isn't it? It is. It is. And um, you, you could be right, Ryan. I'm not sure about this, but I believe that um, that five of the cars will be uh, themed to mice and one of the cars will be themed to cheese. I, I could be wrong. And may, maybe there's been more updated information released that I haven't I haven't seen. But how cool that they're each going to have an individual personality, probably individual colors and 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 logos and um i think zamperla and cedar point are having a lot of fun with this as as they should um it's going to be a you know a fun family coaster and and uh i, I think it's great that they're doing this yeah, and zaggy and larry have been on the track so they're the first two to get on there yeah there you go i'm doing a um an image search right now on on google to see if i can get uh, I was under the understanding that three were cheese and three were mice, but I, I don't know that for sure. Maybe I was just assuming that. I think there's one cheese car, and I think the rest are mice chasing. Okay, yeah. okay. Well, that answers it. I then. think when they introduced when they introduced it at IAPA, I think that's what they said. So I'm pretty sure that's that's the deal. Okay. Well, it looks like um, looks like I learned something today. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, but do do you would you agree, Arthur? Like, uh, uh, you know, with, with Cedar point, you know, I feel like this is getting brushed over a little bit because it's not the tallest, fastest, whatever this year. But I think that the whole pavilion and that whole area kind of bringing it back to almost like a boardwalk style, that's going to be the sleeper hit. I think that's going to be just wildly successful. What are your, what were your initial thoughts on that when you heard about the announcement? I, I completely agree. And 
I, I think, you know, it's funny that this brings us full circle to what we were talking about at the very beginning, that Cedar Point is the second continuously oldest operating park in the country. What was originally appealing about it was its lakefront location. And I know people, you know, do make it down to the beach. Um, some people do, but many people don't necessarily. They, they, they park their car, they go into the park, they ride the roller coasters, they get back in the car and they go home, completely missing sort of the original intention of what Cedar Point was all about. This kind of reconnects, I think, maybe the park with the lake and and harks back to its roots. Um, you know, the, the, the style of the architecture of that building uh, goes back to the 1800s. And, um, and even though a wild mouse ride isn't necessarily um, a classic ride that goes back to the 19th century, it still is uh, uh, quite an old um, concept and, 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 and a classic ride in its own right. So I, I, I agree. I think it's going to enliven that part of the park and, as I said, reconnect it with the lake and kind of reconnect Cedar Point to its roots, which is great. Yeah, I, um, you know, obviously it's not a wild mouse from you know, bygone years, but I think that the look and feel is what they were going for. But I will, yeah. I will say this, um, you know, Cedar Point as a park is great, but Cedar Point as Cedar Point hotel breakers in the beach, that combo right there, you know, you talk about some of all parts, what, what a great combination to have. What, you yep. know, just, just fantastic. Yep. Agreed. Totally agreed. Awesome. All right. And moving on to the final of our pick six, it's going to be a big year at Dollywood. They're going to be opening Big Bear Mountain this summer and the new Heart Song Resort in the fall. So a lot of things, exciting things happening there in East Tennessee. Yeah. Yeah, Don, you were you were saying maybe in uh, around Thanksgiving you might make it to the Dream War. You could actually also maybe make it to Heart Song instead and, and check out the brand new hotel, which looks equally as wonderful as the Dream War. Um, how, how great that Dollywood has been expanding and um, has been obviously just gaining in popularity these last few years. It, it has become a destination resort in its own right. And, um, you know, I, I've always said that it kind of occupies, occupies this special place somewhere above the, um, the traditional regional parks and the destination parks that we think of like Disney and Universal. Um, it, it's carved out this, this very special uh, niche and, and it only seems to be um, further reinforcing its, its unique and, and special place by bringing things like uh, like the new Heart Song Resort and, and this wonderful new coaster, which will be its its longest one, uh, Big Bear Mountain. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously, I, I've spoken about it several times on the show, but I'm very excited about Big Bear Mountain. Um, Heart Song is just going to be fantastic. And and you're right. I mean, for a park that, as far as like square footage is concerned, isn't insanely big, you're going to be able to support two large-scale resorts like that, good for them. Uh, my understanding is that the Gatlinburg Pigeon Forge area is one of the fastest-growing tourist areas in the United States, and I think this is a huge Absolutely. reflection of that. You know? Yeah, yeah, and uh, probably most folks know this, but the, the Great Smoky Mountain National Park is the most visited national park in the country. And, you know, we're talking about Yellowstone and, you know, all these grand... Uh, there's, there's all these other parks that maybe... Uh, have have great name recognition, but that is the place, and it, it, it it's by a factor of I don't know what it's it's far and away the most popular national park. So people are just pouring into that area, and 
more often than not, they're visiting Dollywood when they when they go there, at least when when Dollywood is open. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, how it's grown over the years. I was just looking last night. I had a box that I opened up. I got so much memorabilia and things at my my house. But uh, one of the boxes was slides of Dollywood from 1987. Hmm. So I'm going to scan those in and uh, but just, you know, holding them up to the light and looking at it, just how the park has changed since then. Oh, it's changed dramatically. Yeah. 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 And they do such a nice job of appealing on so many different levels for, for people who are true Dolly Parton fans. There's much to love there. Even if you don't like roller coasters or thrill rides, um, people and, and the, the entertainment, I, I would put Dollywood up against any park and that's including Disney, Universal, any of them. When it comes to entertainment, I don't know that anybody's on, on the same level as Dollywood. Um, so, you know, for those two things alone, that, that, that's what makes Dollywood unique. It's entertainment and the fact that Dolly Parton is its, is its namesake and, and, and there's all this wonderful Dolly experiences that you can have there. But then on top of that, the, the level of, of thrills that they've introduced over the past few years, my goodness, uh, it, it's, uh, it's a, it's a thrill ride lovers park in its own right as well. So it's got everything going for it, I think. So if I recall correctly, you've met Dolly. Didn't you interview her at some point? <laughs> I did. I, I used to joke, uh, that, um, Pete Owens has been the, the, uh, on, on the PR team there for many, many years, a wonderful guy. Mm -hmm. You guys probably know him. And he was, uh, imploring me to come visit Dollywood. It, it, I, I had been writing about it, but hadn't visited. This is going back many years. And I used to joke with him, I'll agree to come visit if you can arrange for me to meet Dolly <laughs> and I can get a hug with her. And sure enough, um, a few years ago, I went to the park. I was able to interview her and I got this wonderful hug. I've got this great picture that I've posted many times of, of me getting a hug from Dolly Parton. And it's, it's a photo that I absolutely treasure. She's just as delightful as you would imagine in person. Um, refreshingly candid. She is goes way off script, doesn't care what any of her PR handlers say. And God bless her for it. Uh, she's just great. And uh, what, what a wonderful experience. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, you can do that when you have nothing to hide, you know, because the, the, the public <laughs> persona of Dolly is for real. As far as I know, that's right. You know, so why yep. does she need to have a spokesperson when she speaks exactly what she's thinking? And she's not like nuts, you know, so it's not like Kanye, you know, where she might say something <laughs> that's going to get her canceled, you know? So, so she's, no. she's a very, very Southern, very real, very Christian woman. Um, and she cares very deeply about the people that visit Dollywood. She cares very about deeply about, you know, Sevier County and where she grew up. And I think that, uh, she more than almost anybody has demonstrated, you know, when you care about something and you're made successful marginally through it, you could argue being from the Smoky Mountains uh, and you turn around and give it right back. I, th I think that's that's a great example of that. Well, you know, Ryan, um, to maybe just uh, put a pin on your, your, your point there, um, I think we all have a lot to learn from Dolly Parton. And I, I mean, this couldn't sincerely. agree more. I, I can't think of maybe any other celebrity, any other public person who is so beloved by virtually everybody. I don't care if you're from a red state, from a blue state. I don't care what your political affiliation is. I don't care what your sexual orientation is. 
everybody loves Dolly and whatever it is that she's doing, I think there's a lesson to be learned there. If we could all be more like Dolly Parton and 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 work together and and join together, um, then I think this this country, this world would be a better place. I agree. Dolly for president, 2024. Calling it now. <laughs> there you go. All right. So, Arthur, why don't you, uh, before we wrap up, just one more time, plug your website, uh, short description of what you do, you know, just so people can go back and read more because we've had a lot of interesting conversations and I'm pe- sure people want more Arthur. <laughs> sure, sure. Thanks. Thanks, Ryan. And thank you, Don, for inviting me on. It's it's a pleasure speaking with you and and, and uh, speaking to your your uh, your your subscribers, the people who who listen to your podcast mm-hmm. and watch you on YouTube, um, I have um, my own Substack. It's called About Theme Parks. You can find me at aboutthemeparks.fun. That's uh, F-U-N. Uh, you can subscribe for free there, or you can become a paid subscriber and get my bonus content. Uh, as I said, the last time I appeared uh, with you guys or with you, Ryan, um, I've been doing this for over thirty years now and um, was um, writing about parks and attractions in traditional media like USA Today and online for about.com and many other um, magazines and newspapers. And now I'm trying this, this new, new thing um, at, uh, at Substack and uh, would love people to come along for the ride, as I like to say, and, uh, and join me. Uh, and um, uh, twice a week, I send out content and try to keep current with what's happening in the industry and um, try to visit as many parks and go on as many adventures as I can and share that with with my readers and would love to have you join me do that. So thanks again for the opportunity. Awesome. Well, Don, do you have any final words of wisdom or thoughts about uh, about themeparks.fun? <laughs> You know, it's, uh, I, I enjoy, it's like a must read for me. You know, I look at it, uh, you know, every day and go back and read articles over and over again. Uh, just some great insight. Highly recommend that you subscribe. And Arthur, we've enjoyed having you on the podcast, you know, again, and uh, we'll have to do it again soon. Sounds good. Uh, Sounds awesome. good. And thanks again for ha- for having me on and keep up the great work. Awesome. Thank you, you so much. So just to, out. just to uh, wrap up one last time, Arthur's website is aboutthemeparks.fun. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at attractions underscore GRP. Is is your is your Twitter at about theme parks? Am I correct with that? Yes. Okay. So follow for it's it's completely free to follow them on Twitter, just like us. So at about theme parks on Twitter. Uh, you can follow us on all the major podcast apps: Google, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so on. Or you can search for us on YouTube. Um, and our YouTube link is going to be uh, it's youtube.com slash at Attractions Group Podcast, or just search for the Attractions Group Podcast on YouTube. Also, uh, before I forget, there are sponsorship opportunities, uh, different packages available. You can sponsor things like the top of the show, a post roll, or even something like the pick six. So we got uh, options available for three, six, and 12 months. Uh, Shoot us some DM on Twitter. We'll work something out with you. Uh, If you want to support the show directly, then you can make a small donation. There's a link in the description for our Buy Me a Coffee. Uh, If you you can go on that, click the link, send us a couple bucks just to help this road, this show be on the road. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Awesome. It's been a very, very long show, but it's been a very great show. That's why I can't talk anymore. But Arthur, thank you so much for being on again. Do you want to come back here in a couple months when we talk about uh, what's open? 
Well, I actually have already published my What's New for 2023, and now I'm in the process of visiting all those places and writing about them. So yeah, that's what we I've want to talk about, my... is after you've been there, I... done that, and then we'll go to the okay. full report. Okay. Yeah, sure. Awesome. Sure, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah, we'll do that. So we'll talk about, uh, you know, once you once you make your tour of all the new rides, what you think of Air Force One, Big Bear Mountain, and so on. And we'd love to hear your opinion, because you're one of the most uh, well I want to say well-educated, but I don't want to sound like you went to Harvard. That's not what I'm saying. But one of the most well-traveled <laughs> theme park journalists. And it truly is an honor that you've come on the show twice now. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, everybody, thank you so much. Uh, this episode is going to drop a little bit early this week for those of you listening early on. But we'll be back next week with some fantastic content. Arthur, thank you again. Don, thanks for being my co-host. Everybody have a great week. Good night.